0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth.
1: So I have a house. My house has a roof that keeps the weather out. In my house, I have a kitchen in which I can prepare food. I have a bedroom in my house that's very familiar to me and a very comfortable place to sleep. And when I stop and think about it, I've always had a home in which to live. But it wasn't until August of 2017 that the appreciation for the house really became important to me as I watched our house burn to the ground. And as our family, my family and I stood and watched our house going up in flames, the familiarity of my bedroom became very important to me because I knew I was not going to experience that the same way ever again. Our kitchen would never be the same. Our home would never be the same. And it would be months. In fact, it took eight months for us to get back in. No, God is faithful and God is good and has given us all back to that. But, but how often, even this week, have you thought about how amazing it is that you have a place to live? You have a roof over your head. You have a comfortable bedroom in which to sleep. See, these things just are so much a part of our life that we begin to take them for granted. There's a saying that says familiarity breeds contempt, and it's very, very true. And we got to fight against that in the Christmas season. (laughs) Because for me personally, man, this is now 48 Christmases that I've been alive. I know I'm old. Shut up. (laughs) Some of you, though, you got to get a few more than I do, but... Uh, and, and so, right, you hear the story again and again and again and again, and if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've heard about Jesus again and again and again, and that he was God that came to earth, and, and he was man, and he was God, and all these things are just things you've heard about again and again, and you know, you've seen the decor, you've seen the trinkets, you've seen the nativities, and over and over again, and, and familiarity breeds contempt, and at least... We're not as amazed as we should be by this fact. So what we wanted to do this Christmas, we wanted to slow down a little bit. We wanted to dive a little bit more into the theology of what's going on. To tell you how important it is that God became man and what it means that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Last week, Adam unpacked that part to you, talking about the humanity of Jesus Christ. and It was a good sermon and. And I hope that you were impacted by it and learned from it because we need to remember that. I mean, he experienced the same things that we do. And I'm so thankful this morning that I have a great high priest who gets it. He knows the temptations I face. He's experienced the temptations that I have, yet he won and he was without sin. So thankful for that. But today I wanna really unpack what it means that Jesus is fully God. Fully man, yes, but also fully God does the Bible really teach that? Is it really important? And how does that impact my life? Well, let's start with this one. We're gonna lean into John, and we'll start with this. I want you to write this down. Jesus is my God. I want you to own these. I want this to be a personal sermon to you. In fact, that's my real heartbeat, is for you to consider who Jesus really is to you. Is he your God? Well, write it down. Let's talk about this. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my God. Does the Bible really teach that Jesus is God? Well, let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, and let's see it here plainly. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. Now, by the way, the Word is clearly Jesus, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And read these last few words with me, if you would. And the Word was God. There it is. Very simply, plainly stated, the Word, Jesus, is God, Now, if you read the rest of the Bible, and certainly the Gospels, you see them saying the same things. John had a purpose behind writing this book, and John wrote it for this. At the end of the book of John, he reveals why he wrote the book. He says this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wanted you to know he's God, and he wants you to believe that. So that's absolutely why he puts right at the very beginning, the word was God. But all the gospels attest to this. In fact, if you look at the gospels, they clearly show Jesus having the attributes or the characteristics of God, for example, when you read the Gospels, you see this very clearly, evidences of the deity of Christ or Jesus' deity. You see this. Jesus demonstrated omnipotence. Jesus demonstrated omnipotence. Omnipotence simply means all power. And think about Jesus when he was walking the earth. He told the seas to be calm, and he calmed the seas with a word. He told demons to leave, and they left. He healed the sick. He turned water into wine. He was the all-powerful God who had control over all of the elements. Now, yes, you know Moses part of the Red Sea, right? No, Moses didn't. Moses did what God told him to do by raising his staff and God part of the Red Sea. Jesus, in his own power of his own volition, did all of these things. He showed himself to be omnipotent. Also this, write this down, Jesus asserts eternality. Jesus asserts eternality. He's having this discussion with the Pharisees and he comes to the Pharisees and, and the argument he has with them, he says this, truly, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. Okay, now he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. I mean, he could have said that, but all that is is a claim that he had a really, really long life. Now, he went a step further, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews certainly would recognize what he was talking about, because it was alluding back to Moses and the burning bush. Remember the story? There was the burning bush, and Moses was before the burning bush, and and God wants Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, oh, let my people go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all true. And so he wanted him to go and do that and and to to set his people free. But then Moses says to the burning bush, to God, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them that the I am has sent you. And so here now is Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) He is absolutely claiming eternality and, and claiming deity. He believed he was God. And they recognize that because the next verse says this in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. They uh, saw that as heresy, his claim to deity, and they tried to stone him as a result. But this is absolutely Jesus claiming eternality. Not only that, but Jesus demonstrated omniscience. He's demonstrated omniscience. Omniscience simply means that he knew everything. He All-knowing is what omniscience means. And Jesus claimed that. I mean, look, he um, demonstrated the fact that he knew the hearts of men. He would read their hearts when they were in the room. Do you remember when he was riding into Jerusalem and he says, uh, he weeps for Jerusalem, uh, imagining or uh, really prophesying what's going to happen to them in just a few short years as the place will be torn apart? He meets Nathanael and he says, hey, I saw you when you were under the fig tree and that was miles away. He knew he had omniscience and Jesus clearly demonstrated all of these things. So yeah, the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus is God. But just to put one final nail in that coffin, so to speak, I want you to take your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. We uh, recently, not so long ago, did a sermon through the sermon series for the book of Hebrews. It was so much fun. We really enjoyed doing that. And uh, so it was a long time ago that we unpacked Hebrews chapter 1. Um, but here it is, Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read several verses here kind of showing this very important truth. Hebrews 1.1, long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets, but now check this. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. By the way, that's what it means when it says the only begotten Son. It's not that He created or had Jesus, but Jesus had the rights of the firstborn. That's what He's talking about. Uh, through whom also He created the world. Check that out. Through Jesus, He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, you shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Here's verse number eight now. But of the son, he says, your throne, check it, oh God is forever and ever, this is the Father speaking to the Son, and the Father says to the Son, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever." Does the Bible teach that Jesus is God? Absolutely. No question about that. But hold, hold on, doesn't the Bible also say that the Father is God? Clearly. And doesn't the Bible also say the Holy Spirit is God? And yes, it does. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira come before Peter. They've lied to him. And Peter said, why have you lied to God? Then he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Peter equating God and the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God all throughout the Bible clearly teaches the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. But the Bible also teaches that there is only one God. How does that all work? Well, it's called the Trinity. Uh, here, This is from Wayne Grudem. It was really, really good. I want to show this to you. Three essential truths about the Trinity. The Bible teaches each of these. The Bible teaches clearly that God is three persons, that each person is fully God, but there is only one God. To deny or step away from any one of these and you end up in heresy, For example, let's just take number one off. Let's just say there really isn't three persons. There's just one God who sometimes shows up as the Father, and sometimes shows up as the Son, and sometimes shows up as the Spirit. Let's just say that's how it all works. Well, you got kind of a problem at the baptism of Jesus, when you have the voice of the Father, the Son being baptized, and the Spirit descending like a dove. So that's kind of an issue. And, and that's what we call uh, modalism, that there is um, um, not really three persons, but uh, so that, that's, a big, that's a big problem, and that's not true. That's, that's heresy. By the way, that's why water is a really bad illustration of the Trinity, because water, yes, it's liquid. Yes, it's a solid when it's ice, and yes, it's a vapor when it's steam, but it can't be all three at one time. And so to teach it that way is modalism. By the way, there is no good uh, illustration for the Trinity in the universe because it just is explainable. So to take away number one, now you're into modalism. Okay, so let's say this. Let's say that each person isn't fully God, that there's one God, which is the Father who created the Son and created the Spirit. Let's do that. Well, that's a heresy called Arianism, which was really uh, championed by Arius he was a, um, the Bishop of Alexandria, and he really championed this. By the way, that's the dude that St. Nicholas slapped in the face. So Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Uh, But this guy was up espousing heresy, espousing heresy, espousing heresy, and St. Nicholas gets up and comes and slaps him in the face. By the way, I was talking in the first service to uh, Denny and to Drew, and I wanted them to hang out to illustrate that. And, uh, of course, Denny would have to be St. Nicholas if you've seen Denny, and then Drew uh, didn't want to do that. So anyway, uh, uh, but that's, that's Arianism. Which, by the way, is why the sun is a bad illustration of um, the Trinity. You know, well, there's a sun, there's light, there's heat. Yeah, but sun and light are coming, or heat and light are coming from the sun. That's not how it works. They're all God. They're all equal. So there's that. Well, then let's okay. So let's accept one and two, and let's just do away with number three. We got three gods now. Well, that's called polytheism. (laughs) which is a heresy, because the Bible clearly says, here it is again in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is one God in three persons. Well, I don't get that. I can't wrap my brain around that. Okay, you can't, and that's okay, because you are finite, but God is infinite. And it's when we try to be smart enough to wrap our brains around it that we end up in heresy, And so what we do is we accept them both. So here's what you need to really believe the Trinity. You need two things, write these down. To believe the Trinity, I need, number one, you need humility. I'm not smart enough. Everyone say that. I'm not smart enough, and it's okay. And then number two, you need faith. I need, to believe the Trinity, I need humility, and I need faith because they don't connect and our minds can't understand it. But we know the Bible says it, and so we believe it. Yeah, but won't our enemies call us weak and illogical and without reason? Well, they might, but we'll call them the same thing. <laughs> Tell me evolution is logical. Tell me the Big Bang Theory is Logical. Church, everybody exercises faith to some degree. We've just said we're going to place our faith in the word of God. And so we see those things and we believe it. But is it important? I mean, can't we just believe that Jesus was a man and a really good man who died for our sins even, and that be enough? Well, first of all, no, it's not enough because the Bible clearly teaches that he is God, Uh, But Wayne Grudem listed out several reasons why this doctrine is essential. You see, what makes a doctrine essential, we use several different categories, essential, primary, secondary, and preference. What makes the deity of Jesus essential is not just how clear the Bible is, and it is, but also all the strings that it pulls if all of a sudden he's not God. And Grudem points out several things. How about this? Only God could bear the weight of the sin of the world. Grudem says this about that. He says... If Jesus is merely a created being and not fully God, then it's hard to see how he, a creature, could bear the full wrath of God against our sins. Another reason why this has become an essential doctrine is this. Salvation can only come from God. It can only come from God. Really, do you want to rely upon a man to be our Savior? Some guy to be our Savior? Grimm says this, Could we really depend on any creature fully for our salvation? But also think about this. This is really interesting. Only God can be the mediator between God and man. Only he can handle that. So I got three kids. Two of them are here today. Come on up, Madeline and Landon. And I will have you take note that they're both redheads. And all God's people said, yeah, thank you. (laughs) All the redheads are excited. But uh, uh, so um, I asked them to come prepared to ask me for something. So I want you guys to ask me for something. And One, two, three. Go. <laughs> we heard that one, didn't we? All right, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this is, like, this is like a normal event where they both want something. They're coming to me at the same time. They're asking me together. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I can't hear you both at the same time. Please, one at a time. What do you want? And no, Landon, you can't have money. <laughs> Or did you ask for a pony? Is that what you asked for? A coffee. Okay, coffee we can do. All right, Uh, (laughs) pony, no. Absolutely not a pony. But you get that? There's no way I could handle that. No way any man can handle more than one thing at a time. So all of a sudden you take away the deity of Jesus and you take away his ability to be omniscient, omnipresent so that I can be in our library and I can be praying to Jesus And Courtney can be in her sitting room at the same time, and she can be praying to Jesus. And Maddie Grace can be in her room, and Landy can be in his room. We can all be praying to Jesus together, and he hears it all. And you can be wherever you are praying to Jesus, and he can handle all that because he is church. He is God. All right, Jesus is God. Very important doctrine. We need to believe that. And it's so easy, man, to just say it, right? Here's Christmas, and Jesus became a man. God became a man, and God came down, and he was God. And it's so vital to believe that. Now, I want to go back to John chapter 1, if you would please, John chapter 1 with me again. And what I want to do now, okay, so so John clearly teaches that. Uh, uh, By the way, we're we're just in verse 3 right now, so that's how far we've gone. Uh, But check this out now. Again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So he's eternal. All things were made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. Dude, you can preach a whole sermon on the fact that Jesus was the creative element of, the, um, of Genesis 1. Uh, but all that to say, this is all backing up the fact that he's God. He's God. He's God. Okay, so what? So what does it matter to me? Well, John goes on to uh, highlight several things, and I want to look at them together. Look at verse number four. In him was, what word do you have there in your Bible, church? In him was Life. And life was the light of men. Okay, that word life comes up again and again in the book of John. And one of the things that John wants us to clearly see is Jesus is life. In fact, we already saw it in the sermon today. This is from John chapter 20, where he states the very reason for writing the book. Here's John 20 again, where he says this. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now watch this, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Can I I have everyone just look up here for a second? This is so very important. Just, Just look at me for a second here. The only life to live is a life lived believing in Jesus as God. The best life for you is a life lived with you believing fully in Jesus and living life with Jesus every day. That's only possible if he is God. I want to push you into that. In fact, check this out in John 10.10. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Let's just read this last part together if we would. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, not just life, but abundant life. Some people will live, they'll have a hard life. I think back in history, as some of the times that people have lived, and we think we got it tough, people have lived a really, really hard life. A lot of people will live a good life, but only a very few. We'll live an abundant life. I think it takes a couple of things for life to be abundant. Number one, I think it means abundant satisfaction. Abundant satisfaction. To live life and imagine being on your deathbed and looking back and saying, my life was just so satisfying. And there is only one pursuit that brings that level of satisfaction, and that's Jesus. So I haven't been shy about the fact that I really like tabletop wargaming, and I know that a lot of you think I'm a geek because of that. And I'm to the age now where I don't care, okay? (laughs) I enjoy it. So I I had two weeks of vacation. Thank you for giving me two weeks of vacation, by the way, and it's always great to... to do that, we had a staycation, and, and so I just could dive full in, hardcore into my hobby and really enjoy that. And I got to be honest, man, by the second week, I'm just kind of like I'm a little sick of painting little things right now. <laughs> it wasn't as fun as it was week one. Because now I'm back, so I'm, we're good. But. Uh, <laughs> It's not satisfying. It's not satisfying. and It's never going to be. No hobby is soul satisfying. No pursuit is soul satisfying, but God's glory as seen through Jesus Christ. And when I live for Jesus and live with Jesus, that satisfies my soul. No family relationship, no career opportunity, no name of your own significance. None of that is going to do your heart what it longs for only in Christ. So to be deeply satisfied that only comes in Jesus. And then number two, deeply or abundantly significant. So abundantly satisfied, but also abundantly significant. I'm telling you, the only way to have eternal significance is found in Jesus Christ. So think about some of the greatest men in history. Like, who comes to your mind? My mind goes to, like, I don't know, Alexander Graham Bell, the guy who invented the phone. You all have one in your pocket probably right now, and I know it's not the same technology, but he was the guy that kind of got that ball rolling. So I uh, think of him. I think of Einstein. I, mean, I think of Steve Jobs. I mean, right now, I got an Apple device in my pocket, one over there. I got one, in, several at home. I mean, we all kind of, you know, we all love Apple. Can I get it with, No. Uh, anyway, uh, but the point is that, like, he had a big significant point in my life. Okay, give it a million years, and who's going to care about a stupid iPhone? It's not going to matter again or anymore. But you lead one person to Christ. You have an impact on one person for eternity. That lasts forever and ever, and that only happens in one place, and that's through Jesus Christ. You want an abundant life, abundantly satisfied in Christ, finding my significance in Christ and living on the gospel. Listen, the fruit of your labor in your job will last a lifetime at most, but fruit for Jesus and spreading his gospel will last forever. Life, that's life. <sighs> All right. My pastor's heart wants you to ask you this morning, What are you you actually really living for? How much is Jesus on your mind? You're going to get up and go someplace tomorrow, work, school, whatever it's going to be. And you know how easy it's going to be to kind of just go and not really think much about Jesus at all? not have his glory as the passion of your heart, not have the spreading of the gospel as your mission for life? And if you're just going to be really honest with me, like what would you say is really the driving factor of your life? Or can we all say it's, it's not as much Jesus as it should be? And I want to encourage this, man. The best life, man, the abundant life is one where you wake up tomorrow and you get to Jesus. And you go throughout the day and you get to Jesus and the troubles happen, and you run to Jesus, and your life is lived in a personal love relationship with him, and it's possible because he's God. He is my life. Let's see where uh, John goes next. So we've made it all the way to verse number four. just got to get to verse number 18, so strap in hour and a half. We'll be done, I promise. Uh, Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, verse number four now, in him was life. Now watch this, and the life was the light of men. So write this down, Jesus is my light. Jesus is my light. And yes, I see how if I just used Jesus is my Lord, I would have had it alliterated Lord, life, light. I could have done that, but then I'd have to say, when I say Lord, I mean God, and I didn't wanna spend time doing that. So anyway, Jesus is my light. He's my light. And I think that really the rest of this text is emphasizing or revealing how Jesus is our light. And the text goes on to explain it. So let's run through this. So uh, in him was life and life was the light of men. Verse number five. Now watch this. First of all, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So write this down. Darkness is repelled by the light. Darkness is repelled by the light. So, so when, when this was written, remember, remember when Jesus came, it was coming out of 400 years of silence. No prophet, no revelation from God other than what he had already revealed and what creation reveals. No prophet, no word from God, and, and, and there was silence for 400 years. That's a long time, people. Our country's been around for over 200, and this was double that, and that's how long they had not heard from God in a revelatory sense. And then Jesus shows up, and he breaks apart the darkness. And the darkness cannot push it away. Listen, sin is dark. But Jesus pushes away the darkness of sin. Don't you feel our world today is dark? Don't you feel our culture and our country it just feels like darkness? Like, who knows Jesus, where all the wicked things are being just championed and what is good is being mocked and canceled. We're in a dark time. Jesus beats the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome Jesus Christ. And maybe you in your life have some dark things trial you've gone through, a sin that was done against you, a hurt that you have. And so when I talk about abundant life and joy and all of that, you're like, dude, if you knew what I have gone through, let me just say this to you. Jesus can overcome that darkness. And sometimes it's hard to know how the dots all connect to make that right. And we stand ready with biblical counselors to try to help you Figure out what it looks like for you to live in the light of Jesus. But I want you to hear, Jesus repels, our darkness is repelled by the light. Write this down as well. Um, under that, substitutes cannot replace the light. Substitutes cannot replace the light. Well, why are you going there, Pastor? Great question. Look, this is where John goes. Look at verse number 6. Uh, There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. So I think the Apostle John wants to mention John the Baptist because John the Baptist was a very well-known righteous figure of the time. The Pharisees knew him, people knew him, and he was a very godly guy. In fact, Jesus himself says of John the Baptist, there's no greater man born among women than John. So you got this godly man named John. But listen, John wasn't Jesus. And if they were following John and not following Jesus, they're following the wrong thing. Substitutes cannot replace the real light. True for us the pursuits that I go to to find satisfaction and joy can never replace Jesus. Hey, listen, there's no better source of truth and wisdom than Jesus. And how has God revealed the truth and the wisdom of Jesus to us? How has he made that known to us? Well, he put it in a book, and I want you to think about how much God, the Word, and Bible, the Word, are connected. And right here in John 1, it says, He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But think about this. The Bible says in Psalm 119, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And when I'm walking with Jesus and I'm living with him and I'm living in his word, I can see that next step in front of me, which is why I pause and ask you, what substitute wisdoms are you going to, to make the decisions of life? I mean, you're deciding stuff. You're making choices. What are we going to to figure out? What, how often are we going to the Bible and saying, what does the Bible say about this? How often are we going to Jesus saying, God, through your word, give me wisdom about making this decision? go to our parents, go to other people. Or sometimes we like to just kind of throw out fleeces to determine the will of God for our life. God, if this is your will, would you just let all the lights be green as I go here? If you want me to go to church, let all the lights be green, and then I'll go. I did this once uh, with Courtney. She was, you know, it was kind of this time of year. She was feeling a little dark. Uh, Madeline was just recently born. She was kind of going through some postpartum stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to, okay, Lord, I want to make her happy. And if I go to the pet store and there's a schnoodle, then I'm going to buy that schnoodle. And, uh, and, yeah, I went there, and there never was a schnoodle until that day. And guess what there was? A schnoodle. And uh, I don't know if it was actually God's will for me to buy it because I brought it home. Again, Madeline was a baby, and they were like, she was like, Great, I have a baby, and you brought a puppy into the home. <laughs> now, she loved Tucker and all of that, so it was fine. But it's a bad way of determining God's will. That's all I'm saying. And I knew better even at the time. But you know, we put off fleeces because we want the easy way out to determine the will of God. How about, you, how about we go to his word and study his word and live in the word and love Jesus with our whole heart and seek him out, and he's the light, and no substitute light will, will be enough. Third truth under the light. You can write this down. We must respond to the light. We must respond to the light. Verse number nine. The true light which gives light to everyone. Man, I could preach a whole sermon on the accessibility of the light. It's available to anybody anyway. was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Hebrews just told us that. Check this out. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Listen, everybody will respond to Jesus. And there's only two choices. You're either gonna receive him Are you going to reject him? That's it. Two responses to Jesus Christ. I will either receive him or I'm going to reject him. Most people reject Jesus, but there are a few, and maybe God has opened your eyes to believe, and you're one of the ones who have received Christ. So this morning, I just have to pause and ask you, have you really received Jesus as your Savior? has there been a point in time in your life where you realized I'm a sinner and I can't save myself? But I believe that Jesus came as God and man and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and he paid for my sins. And believing that, I want to call on you and receive you. I hope there has been a time when you've done that. If not, let us know. We want to pray with you and help you do that very thing because the other option is to reject that. For whatever reason to say, I'm not going to believe that, and you're going to reject Jesus. That road leads to hell. But... To receive him, you have the right to be a son of God, a child of the king. That comes not for everybody. You're not born a child of God. You choose Jesus and become, have the right to become a child of God. So what have you done with Jesus? Well, pastor, I've accepted Jesus. Great, I hope you have. But do you know, even after our salvation, we have choices of either running to Jesus or running from Jesus. Now, I believe very firmly when you decide to trust Christ and you believe that by faith, it's an eternal decision, once saved, always saved, locked in heaven. But as you live this life, do you know, even as a believer, you have choices to either run to Jesus or run from Jesus. There's no middle ground. And so when life is hard, how do you respond? in the troubles of your life, where do you go? Man, you can run to Jesus, your Father, your God. You can run to him, and he loves you, and he loves you. Now, why wouldn't someone run? Well, they might run if they say, well, I'm, really, I'm a really bad sinner. And so this truth is really important. Write this down as well, the last one here. God's true nature is revealed by the light. God's true nature is revealed by the light. And this is where you get, and just check this out. This is so beautiful. I, I love these verses in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Let's read them together. And the word, I'll read them. You follow along. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Church, listen, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, who rakes before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Listen, truth is truth. Sin is sin. And we do no one any favors by changing that fact. There is sin, and we are sinners. But he's grace, and he's full of truth, and he's full of grace, and grace upon grace. Man, I can't come to Jesus. I'm a wretched sinner. No, it's because of every reason that you need to come to him, and no matter how bad your sin is, his grace is greater yet, and when you come to him and you Fall to him he forgives. Take a look at 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. Now watch number 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus made God known. As we saw in Hebrews, he was the exact imprint of his nature. And he revealed God to us. And what he revealed to us, it's not a God of wrath and anger. Yes, but that was all taken care of in the death of Jesus Christ. And now what he has for us, is grace. Kind of important that Jesus is God. And so needful in my life because I'm a wretched sinner. But I have his grace and I have grace upon grace. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And here's what it looks like. Tomorrow you're gonna get up and you're gonna do your thing. And you've done this thing that you're doing tomorrow probably a lot. Either going to work, going to church, getting to your patterns of life. And we fall into patterns of living. Listen, we fall into patterns of thinking. And your pattern of thinking is going to be to be won by whatever pursuit you're normally won by. And oftentimes, you've got to be honest, it's not Jesus. And all of us need to grow in this. So what I want you to do tomorrow is wake up and to turn your eyes on Jesus. And think about the fact that you, right now, there's nothing between you and him. And you can come to him right now as you come to him, he is full of grace. He is full of truth. He will receive you to walk with him. Then on Tuesday, you're going to get up, and what are you going to do? Turn your eyes on Jesus. When the difficulty comes, what should you do? Turn our eyes on to Jesus. In the good times of celebrating with family this Christmas season, what should you do? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and live in him and live with him and enjoy his love and walk in that relationship. So, Father, we need your help with this. In our humanity, we get caught up in the wrong things, but even if we have, your grace is there to forgive us. And would you just use that grace, that love overpouring that you have for us to draw our hearts to your son tomorrow and to live in the light of his glorious face, to think about Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to talk to Jesus, to hear from your word and to just live a life abundantly, in the love of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what trials are on the way. It doesn't matter the difficulties to come. We'll have Jesus, and that'll be more than enough. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You are loved, Redemption. Thank you for coming.